The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verses 10 through 33. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. For the seventh year you shall let it rest and lay fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you shall come out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field of the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year... Shall all your males appear before the Lord God? You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything unleavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The beasts of the first fruit of your ground shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Behold, I sent an angel before you to guard you on the way, and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, I blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them. Nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you, and you will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you. You shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and from you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make your sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, uh, my name is Jeff Miller. I am an elder candidate here at Sacred City. I'm also uh, a church planning resident, which means that right now I'm in the process of uh, learning how to do all things church planning. So I'm, I'm reading a lot of books. I'm paying a lot of attention. Uh, I'm doing what I'm told, uh, and I'm, I'm seeking what God uh, has for me and my family in the, in the area of church planning. And we're about uh, just a little over 18 months into uh, what was supposed to be somewhere between an 18 and 24-month residency. So uh, that's just w- where we are right now. And uh, my family's here with me this morning, and, and we're blessed to be uh, a part of Sacred City Moline this morning and, and all that God's doing here. This is uh, my first time being in the gym here, uh, and the, the last few times I've gotten to speak with you, we've been out uh, kind of in what now just like overnight became the foyer, and uh, this is great. What a great setup, and, and what a blessing that already uh, in the short life of Sacred City Moline that we get to move locations and, and be in a bigger space and uh, have a little bit more room and a little bit more freedom to spill your coffee on a floor where it won't stain.
rain and, and all that. So uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad that, that maybe you didn't know who was going to be speaking and yet you took a chance and, and came to church this morning and gathered and, and I'm thankful that you're here. So as we come in this morning, we are about 30 or so weeks into the book of Exodus. Uh, we started this, uh, I don't even remember where 30 weeks back is now, but we started it what seems like forever ago. Uh, and then we came to Exodus chapter 20 and we began walking through the Ten Commandments one by one and seeing uh, the law that God was playing, excuse me, laying before the Israelites and then actually looking at how that still plays out for us today. We've, we found that we are no longer bound to the law because of what Christ has done for us, but the law does make us aware uh, of our need for a savior. The law makes us aware uh, that we can't follow it, we can't live up to the standard, and we need somebody to step in and take our place in the midst of that, and and we ultimately find that in Jesus. And I hope that as we walk through that, that you saw that. And then last week, we got to celebrate uh, Easter uh, and really kind of walk through a text that was not really an Easter text. And and I actually really enjoy that and appreciate that about uh, what we do at Sacred City. Uh, Easter uh, really is a big deal for us, so much so that we celebrate it on a weekly basis. You know, we celebrate the resurrection every single week. So uh, when it comes to Palm Sunday and Easter, we don't uh, have to take time out necessarily to do big shows or productions or anything like that. We do what we always do on a Sunday morning, and, and we're faithful to the text, and we see how Jesus fulfills even uh, the book of Exodus uh, for us. So last week uh, was a big week. Uh, between both churches, we were well over 400 people, which was a record for us. And uh, even the Davenport Church uh, actually hit the same number for Easter this year that they did last year, which is really interesting since all of you are now here and you were there last year. So you've been replaced and uh, now the work goes on. But we're, uh, we're glad that, that God is continuing his work on, on that side of the river and this side of the river. And um, man, he's, God's just been faithful to us and it's been great to see. So um, as I talked about kind of walking through the book of Exodus, this is kind of the norm for us. Uh, we often walk through books of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Uh, and so we get the full counsel of God's word. So we really get all that God has for us. And really what that means is for us as preachers, those, of you, those that get to preach to you here at Sacred City, it, it really doesn't allow us to set an agenda before you. It allows God to set the agenda. We're, we're just following the text and seeing what God has for us. And if you were here a couple weeks back, we walked through a really tough portion of Scripture that most people would have chosen to avoid. But since we're walking through it, we, we just went after it. And we saw what God's Word had to say in the midst, midst of that. And if you weren't here a couple weeks back, that may be a good one for you to go back and, and listen to uh, Exodus chapter 21 and 22 and, and see what God had for us there. But we do this so that we, we are really kind of going against uh, the culture. Really, our culture is a culture of consumerism, a culture that says buy more, get more, gain more, have more, uh, and really caters to, to our needs. Uh, and we try to buck that system a bit and say, no, we need to hear from God and we need to hear all that he has to say, not just about hot topics, not just about uh, what, what I feel uh, good about that week, or maybe not just what I'm reading in a book that week, but we want to see what the scripture has to say to us. So every week and uh, staff meeting on Monday mornings, the staff opens up our Bibles. Tomorrow we'll jump into Exodus chapter 24 and we'll begin studying it and breaking it down and seeing what God has for us. And uh, so we really have to preach it to ourselves first and then we preach it out uh, to, to you guys and, and you get to grow from it as well. And, and hopefully this morning you'll see a little bit of a piece of that. As we come to Exodus 23 this morning, uh, we're going to look specifically at verses 10 through 33, and there's actually really uh, about three different sermons that could be preached just from this text alone, but uh, Sam didn't give me that much time, so I'm just going to preach one of them in the amount of time that I've given to you, and and all of you, I'm sure, said amen. Uh, And I'm going to do my best, though, to cover a lot of ground uh, in a short amount of time so we can hopefully see, just like Israel will see, that they needed a Savior. Hopefully as we go through Exodus 23 this morning, you'll see too that that you need a savior, that you need someone to rescue you. You need someone to redeem you from your slavery. But before we get there, let's pray and then we'll get to our text. Father, we are are thankful uh, first and foremost that you've called us in this morning. We're thankful that you have given us a break from the busyness of the world, that you've given us a time uh, on a Sunday morning that we could slow down our lives, that we could slow our minds in our hearts, and we could kind of quit the busyness of life even for just this hour, hour and a half, however much time you give to us this morning, and that we could uh, really just um, 
We cry out to you, Father, that we would recognize our need for you and we would call out to you this morning and we would call out to you for rest and redemption. We would call out to you for uh, justification and sanctification and we would um, find ourselves in a position this morning of, of wanting to know you more and loving you better. Father, our prayer would be that we would leave here differently today than what we were when we walked in the doors. God, uh, we have gone through all kinds of things this week since we last met, and inevitably our hearts are far from you. Uh, there's been things that came up this week that we were unprepared for, that we were surprised by, and, and yet now we find ourselves sitting here under your word, and we pray that it would bring conviction to us. Father, would you show us areas of our life in which we're not believing the gospel, but may it also bring us rest in knowing that, that this is not dependent upon our work, but that the work has already been done for us. So, Father, this morning, may uh, my words be your words. May you hide me behind this pulpit, and uh, may much be made of you this morning. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible this morning, let's grab it. Turn over to Exodus chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 10. If you didn't bring in a Bible, there should be one around your feet somewhere. Uh, if you have one on your pocket idol, sorry, your phone, you could pull that up uh, and do that on there. Uh, and if all of those things fail for you, you could just look awkwardly over a neighbor's shoulder, uh, and that'll be there for you. Exodus chapter 23, uh, and we're going to look at, just to start actually here, verses uh, 10, 11, and 12. Uh, and as you turn there, let me give you a little bit more of a background as if I haven't done enough of that already. But in the past few weeks, what we've been looking at is Exodus 21, 22, and 23. And what that little section of scripture is known as is the book of the covenant. And what God is doing is now that he's given the Ten Commandments, and what he's doing is he's showing the people how the Ten Commandments really play out in everyday life. So you have these Ten Commandments, but what do these regulations cover? What do they mean? So we find everything from regulations covering what to do in case of a wrongful death and even uh, as low down as how to put up collateral for a loan. And, and God is showing his people how the law works in real time, how the law works in real life situations. Uh, and, and really, as you walk through uh, chapters 21 through 23, this is really interesting reading if you're a lawyer. But if you're not a lawyer, it's very tiring, burdensome reading. Like, why in the world is all of this here? And God's showing his people, and, and, and really it's God knowing his people and knowing that they're going to hear, you shall not lie, and they're going to try to figure out situations in which they can lie and make it okay. And God says, no, 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 here's how that will play out, and here's how that will work. And so they're getting really these regulations for real-life situations. And as we come to verses 10, 11, and 12, we actually finish off the section of how to, how to follow the Ten Commandments for everyday life. You see, these verses here are dealing with the fourth commandment about work and rest. And what's going on is we see the regulation laid out about how, how rest for workers should be laid out as well as rest for the land. What we see in just these three verses here is God's care for all of his creation, okay? He's caring for his children, but he's also caring for the world he's created. He's telling the people that you can't overwork the land. You can't just keep planting and sowing without giving the land a break. And really, we see this play out in our culture today, and, and really, uh, here in America, our, our soil is becoming less and less fertile, and you'll see farmers dumping more and more fertilizer in, and, right? and there has to be more chemicals dumped into food and more chemicals put on the land in order for it to keep producing because really we have to keep producing, right? More people are being born, more people need to be fed, so our, our land really doesn't get a break. And, and honestly, that wasn't ever God's intention for the land. He intended for the land even to get a break. But in the midst of the land getting a break, he also tells them that this is for the people in the land that are less fortunate, Right, He says uh, in, the, in the verses here that the poor will come and gather from the land. Let's look at uh, verses uh, 10 through uh, 12 just to get a little better picture. For six years you shall, you shall sow your land and gather in its field, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, excuse me, fallow, that the poor of your people may eat. Okay? So there are people that have no way to provide for themselves. They have no way to get food or gain food. And in this year, what they're allowed to do is the farmer is not going to pick his crop clean. He's going to leave some. 
Okay, if the, if the plow or the tractor or, okay, if the oxen mix, misses some of it as they're picking, they're to leave it there. And the poor of the land will walk in and come in and they'll gather and they'll be able to provide for themselves. They'll be able to provide for their family. And in a real way, they'll actually be able to even do a little bit more than that. They'll be able to gather some things that maybe they can provide a life for themselves that's better than what they currently have. Maybe they gather some seeds and gather those things and now they have an opportunity to plant. We also see something a little interesting here too, though. It goes on, um, that the poor of your land may eat and what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. We even see a little bit of God's concern for the animals here. That it's, yeah, he cares about people, he cares about the land, but he also cares that the animals are gonna have something to come in and eat as well. So for all you cat and dog lovers out there, God cares, okay? We see it, okay? And then it says, you shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. So God's really telling them every area in which you farm, we're gonna, we're gonna give that area a break and we're gonna give that area a rest. So your vineyard, the people can come in and they can gather grapes. They can come in and gather olives. It's not just uh, like we love here in Iowa where they get to come in and pick a few ears of corn. They get to get the full benefit of the land, okay? So as we see this, we see that God is again showing his care for the powerless. God is again showing his care for all of his creation. And really, we could spend a lot of time here and talk about work and rest and all this, but I think it's pretty obvious what's going on here. Verse 12 says, Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. So we really see God saying everything needs a break. You can't keep working this hard. You can't keep doing what you're gonna do. You need a break. And to this group of people, this would have been really refreshing to hear because these are a people who know nothing of taking a break. They know nothing of taking a rest. For 400 years, over 400 years, they have been slaves and they have been worked to the bone. And now God in his graciousness is saying, no, you need a break. You need a rest. Even the land, even the animals, they need a rest. And as God gives these regulations, he closes off this section of scripture with a reminder. Okay, he reminds them of the first three commandments. Look to verse 13. He says, pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of the other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. God's reminding them of the first three commandments. Now that he's saying, here's how you take care of the powerless in your land. He says, and remember, I am your God. I am giving you all the things that you need. I am doing all this. I am leading you. And now you don't have to, to fall back in line with the other gods anymore. You don't have to fall back in line with what Egypt told you you were and who your gods were. Now you have me. Pay no attention, or excuse me, pay attention to all I have said and make no mention of the names of the other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. God's saying, don't even speak of them anymore. They're gone. They're dead to you. Now, this leads perfectly into what's going to go on next. So let me just ask you kind of a blanket question this morning. This will be a safe question. You can raise your hand. But how many of you would say that you're a forgetful person? Yeah, most of us. Okay, and then those, there were some of us that were like, we're just too forgetful to even raise our hand. Like, what do you say to do? Okay, like most of us, really, we are, we are a forgetful people. This is the truth of us. This was the truth of the Israelites. They were a forgetful people. But God is about to build something into the lives of the Israelites to help them remember. In your Bible, it may have a little heading over this that says feasts and festivals, right? Feasts and festivals. And what God's gonna do is he's gonna build in kind of an alarm system of sorts to remind the people of what God's done and what God is doing. And just like this morning, most of us woke up to an alarm. It reminded us that now it's time for sleep to be over and it's time for the day to start. For most of us, it was the reminder that we need heavy amounts of coffee to function, right? First thing, I'm gonna go get that. The, the kids can wait, my wife can wait, my spouse can wait, it's time for coffee. But we have these alarms that remind us that it's time to get up, it's time to do something. Now today, thankfully, the reminder is it's time to worship, right? It's time to rest, it's time to enjoy all that God's given you. Now some of us inevitably will move on from here this morning and we'll get back to our busyness, but the first thing is first and the alarm went off and we knew it was time to worship and tomorrow, Monday, Monday will come and we will know that now it's time to work, right? 
It's, it's just an alarm. It's a reminder reminding us that we have responsibilities, we have tasks, we have things to do, and it's a reminder that it's time to work. And what we see here is God building in an alarm system for his people to remember and be reminded of all he's done and all he's doing. As you came in this morning, and maybe you're new to Sacred City, or maybe you've been around for a long time, but you don't really know why we do what we do. So you may have noticed that our service is set up a little bit different than other churches. Our service is maybe a little bit slower, and that's on purpose. That's intentional. What we do on every every Sunday morning as you come into Sacred City is what we call a liturgy. Here's some of the things that you hear happen. You hear God call his people to worship him through scripture. So what you don't see is a bunch of people standing on a stage saying, God, look at us, see us, hear us. Like We're not putting on some big show so God, like all of a sudden up in heaven is like, oh yeah. No, we see we see. Uh, God calling us in to worship him. That's why we, we read scripture to start. We see what God has done and it calls, it reminds us to worship. It's not reminding God of his people, it's reminding us of who God is. And then we confess our sins together. We confess that we all are on a level playing field and we need a savior. We're confessing together that there were times this week that we forgot all about God. We're confessing that there were times this week that we started our day, we, started, we maybe even lived a few days without even thinking of all that God had done, without even thinking that it was God who put the breath in our lungs. So we stop and we confess, and we confess our need for a Savior. But then we don't just stop there and leave us in guilt and shame. We hear the good news of what Christ has done for us. We hear the good news that that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was for us, was for the forgiveness of our sins, and and we can walk in freedom in that. And then we affirm our faith together through some type of confession or catechism, and really we're saying this is what we believe as God's people. This is who God is shaping us to be. This is who God is making us. And then we hear God's word preached as you're doing right now, and then before we leave, we'll take communion together as a family of God. You see, we are a, a busy people and we live in the midst of a culture that's very busy and it's fast paced and oftentimes it's breakneck speed and God is saying, that will not be so with my people. So when you come in on a typical Sunday morning, you will see that liturgy played out over and over and over again. But the truth is, aside from Sunday morning, we all have liturgies that we live every single day. Your liturgy might look something like you wake up at 6 a.m., you shower, you start coffee, you get the kids up, you get the kids off, then you get yourself to the office or job site, and then a whole nother set of liturgy takes place there. And then when you come home, there's a liturgy that takes place, whether it's cooking dinner or dinner's prepared, and you, you eat or you sit down and maybe watch some TV together, or you run kids to sports practices or events and games and all that kind of stuff. And then maybe you'll sit down at the end of the night and you'll watch a Netflix show or a Hulu show or whatever other thing you choose to watch. Maybe some of you have cable. Bless you. Okay, and you get to like watch those things. And, but it's a liturgy, right? It's a daily routine. And really, if you think about it, you are probably more of a, a routine, habitual person than you think. When I was in college, my freshman year, I took a psychology class, and they talked about the, the, the routine of people. And think about just your day even for a minute. You can even uh, think about maybe even something awkward like your shower routine. You probably never thought of this before. You're just going in there to get clean, but most of us do the same thing every time we get in the shower. Maybe it starts with shampoo and the hair, then you grab the loofah, right, and you put your soap on it, and you start with the left arm, and then you work your way across, and then the right arm, and then the, like, none of you, you're like, Pfft. Never thought of it. But we are people of habit, people of a liturgy. We, we find ourselves in these habits and routines and they kind of steer the way we go. So much so that if somebody was to call you or text you, you'd have to kind of stop and be like, man, where am I in the middle of things right now? Like, I don't know if I can because we're so just ingrained in our habits and our routine that it's tough to break those things up. But in the next section of our text this morning, God is going to give his people some new liturgies. Okay, he's gonna give them new ways to remember what he's done for them. We're gonna see God do two things to help them look forward to what he's doing. Okay? One, he's gonna help them to remember what he's done. Okay? And then this liturgy is gonna help them look forward to what he is doing and will do. Okay? God is, what we're gonna see here is God changing their liturgy and giving them specific times in their calendar to remember and be called back. Well, this is good for his people. This is good for us as well. As those forgetful people, remember most every single one of us raised our hands and said, I'm forgetful. These people are too and we see God in his grace saying, here's ways you can remember. 
Nothing. God could say to the people here, no, you do the work of remembering. But instead he says, no, I'll help you. I'll give you something in your yearly calendar. I'll give you something as a routine to remember. So as we come to the next section of the text, verses 20 uh, through 33, we're gonna see, uh, sorry, I jumped. Uh, We're not there yet, okay? We're gonna see uh, that God is gonna tell them about how to have these festivals and how to have these um, celebrations. And and we're gonna find out some things about God in the midst of them. But I'm gonna kind of breeze through these. We really honestly could spend a whole morning talking about these feasts and festivals and how important they all are. But there's gonna be three of them, okay? There's gonna be the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering, okay? And each annual festival testified to the grace of God. So the unleavened bread reminded God's people of the night they left Egypt. Remember how they left so fast their bread didn't even have time to rise? So for one week during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the people are gonna eat unleavened bread to remind them of their salvation from Egypt, to remind them of their quick exit, to remind them that in an instant, God freed them. And now for this week-long feast of the unleavened bread, they're gonna look back to how it is they got out of Egypt. And God's building this into their yearly calendar. Okay, then the other two feasts that we're gonna come to is the Feast of the Harvest and Ingathering. And really, the Feast of the Harvest and Ingathering both celebrate the same thing, but at different times of the year. Okay, so the Feast of the Harvest would celebrate when they're about to plant their fields and and they're gonna stop and they're gonna celebrate what God's going to do that they're, they're gonna celebrate and they're gonna stop that God's gonna give them crops. God's gonna uh, make their land fertile and it's gonna produce all the things they need to live. So they're gonna celebrate it really ahead of time and as they're planting it. They're, they're stopping and saying, it is God who's gonna provide all this. They're gonna plant the seeds, but God's gonna take care of the rest. And then the other feast is the Feast of Ingathering, which would have been uh, seven weeks after the Feast of, of the Harvest. And now what they're gonna do is they're gonna harvest their crops and they're gonna bring them all together and they're gonna celebrate all that God did. They're gonna, for a week, actually, uh, there's another term for the Feast of Ingathering. It's called the Feast of Booths. They're actually gonna leave their homes when they finally get those and they're gonna go out and live in tents again for a week-long, really, for lack of a better term here, they're gonna have a week-long party and celebrate what God did. They're gonna gather the food together, they're gonna gather excesses together, and they're gonna have a party. They're gonna celebrate all that God did to provide for them, and God's building this in to their calendar. God's building in ways for them to remember who did this. You see, the God who saves the Israelites is the God who provides all the days of their lives. And really, each one of these feasts would contain seeds of the gospel. It would cause them, again, to remember what had been done, but also look forward to what he will do and what he's currently doing. Built in to their calendar, built in to their lives. It's already there. So God is building a liturgy for his people to give them reminders all throughout the year of his goodness and his provision. Again, he didn't say, you do the work of remembering. He said, I'm gonna build this in. And these festivals show us something about God's character. God is about us enjoying him. God is about us celebrating him. God is about us slowing down and recognizing where the gifts came from, where where the provision uh, lied. Think about this. The Israelites haven't had much to celebrate for the past 400 years of their existence. And now all of a sudden, God says, no, no, you will be a people of celebration. No longer will you be held down by mean taskmasters and, and gods with a, with a little g that demand your work and your time and your effort. He says, no, you will celebrate all that I have done. Imagine being, uh, maybe you're a person and you grew up and you never had a birthday party before. Right? You just never had one. It just wasn't a big deal at your house. You knew you were born on a date and you knew what that date was, but it was just never made a big deal of. But then one day you find yourself at Sacred City, you join a missional community, and then one night you stroll into missional community and it happens to be maybe the day or the week of your birthday and these people celebrate you. There's a cake for you, there's cupcakes for you, maybe it's even gluten-free for those of you that got a little gas issues, right? Like it's just in there, okay? Gastrointestinal, sorry, not just, yeah, okay. So it's, but it's built in, right? And just think about the joy that would come over you to be celebrated, to be a person of now celebration. It would change the way you looked at life. It would bring a new joy even to that day for you. And that's really what God is doing with the Israelites here. He's teaching them how to be a people who will celebrate and to be a people of joy. Because the Israelites are gonna show the watching world 
what God is like. And if they're not celebrating, what would be any different about their God than the gods of Egypt? You see, there'd be no difference at all. He would be nothing more than just another cruel taskmaster to rule over the people. But instead, God says, no, you will celebrate. That's big. God wants his people to enjoy him. He's not a burdensome God like the ones they had back in Egypt. He's not a tyrant ruling over them to produce more and perform better. Their God piles one blessing on top of another. But these three festivals were only the beginning. God's starting to show his people here what salvation was all about, and he's giving them rhythms that will teach them how to look to him in faith. You could say that God is giving them a liturgy of faith. Really, their liturgy up to this point has been a liturgy of work, a liturgy of slavery, and now God's giving them a liturgy of faith. And I want to break that down for you this morning. We're going to spend the the bulk of the rest of our time uh, in the rest of the text, verses 20 through 33. Okay, so... Uh, verses 20 through 33 are about God's promise to give his people a home and it will be their liturgy of faith that will get them there. So listen, none of this is dependent upon the people's work or the people's effort. This is dependent upon the faithfulness of God and their trust in it. They can go out and they can attempt to work really hard to take this land and they will as we'll see uh, in a few chapters later but God is telling them, place your faith in me and I will get you there. That sounds like a good plan, right? Place your faith in me and I will take you there. Uh, I was just thinking this morning about, uh, I have a little girl and, and we're gonna talk about her in just a minute, but she is totally dependent on, on my wife, Alicia, and I. She can't walk to get food out of the cupboard. She can't change her own diaper yet. She is totally 100% dependent upon us. Really, her life is the perfect picture of, of a life of faith. She can't get milk on her own. She can't, all those things are just, she can't bathe herself. She cannot do anything. Imagine how foolish it would be for my little three-month-old little girl to say, no, 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 I'll do it on my own. <laughs> You'll do what on your own? You cannot walk. You cannot talk. You can't even function your hands properly right now. They just kind of flail, right? Like, like you can't do it. Like, she is in a total place of faith and really surrendered. Now, I know well enough to know that she doesn't know that, so don't take that too far, but really that's a perfect picture of what God's telling the Israelites here. Place your faith in me and I will get you there. I've already prepared the place. I've got it for you. So let's start in verse 20. Verse 20 says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. What in the world? Like, just one simple thing, and God has already blown the people's minds here. God has just said, I've prepared a place for you, and I'm gonna bring you there safely. So what we see God saying is, I didn't just free you from Egypt for you to be free from Egypt. I freed you from Egypt to provide a place for you, a land for you, and I'm also gonna see that you get there. This isn't a trip in which you don't know the details. I'm leading you in those. And he tells them here, I'm gonna send even an angel before you to prepare the way for you. So I was just talking to you about our, our little girl. Uh, we have a three-month-old little girl named Sawyer, and uh, my wife and I actually took a nine-year break from having children. We just thought that would be fun to like have children that could totally take care of themselves and then start over, right? Like We, we don't have anybody who's dependent upon us. Let's, let's make another human. So we did that, and, and now we have this little three-month-old little girl, and um, it, was, it was amazing bringing her home into our house and but before we brought little Sawyer home, there were a lot of things that we had to do. For one, the room that Sawyer now calls hers was once our office, right? It was the place where, the, where our older two boys did their homework. It was a place where I would do some work at home from the office. Uh, it was really a place where we stored those boxes that we hadn't unpacked from when we moved there three years ago, right? You just end up with the random boxes. You're like, I don't know that we need this, but we can't quite get rid of it. And there's no more space in the garage. So here's a room, right? And it's just dedicated. And that stuff was in there. So we had to begin the process of cleaning that room out, right? We had to begin the process of, uh, I had to build a desk for the boys downstairs to now do their homework there. And, and we had to clean it out. Those boxes had to get unpacked and really they just got thrown away. Uh, but it wasn't really a pretty process. It was, a, it was a, a process that required work on our part. We had to go about uh, moving stuff out and then moving stuff in. We had to paint the room. It was this cool green color that we thought was good, but it just didn't work for a baby, so we had to paint the room. We had to get a crib, and then I had to assemble it, which was great, okay? 
the directions were perfect and always lined up to what I needed. And we had to put a crib in there. Then we had a dresser actually sitting in our garage for about two years that we decided, let's redo that and make that for the baby. Great idea, right? So we went about the process of sanding that down and, and refinishing it and repainting it and redoing it and getting cute little knobs and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't find out what, what the sex of the baby was ahead of time, so we had to wait till she was born to actually like paint the knobs and stuff like that. So it became even more of a process. But we got a dresser and we prepared it. And then we decided we need a changing station. We don't always just want to change the baby on the floor. But we decided against that and just went with a little mat we put on the floor. But anyway, we had to we've at least walk through that process. We also decided we needed shelving. We need a place to put our little stuffed animals and her books and her and, her, and all, like all that other stuff and extra lotions and all that stuff needs to go up there. So we had to get shelves and, and I ended up redoing all of those and then, and then putting holes in the walls to hang them and, and then getting cool little artwork pictures and putting them all around because we want her to know that she's blessed and that there's a plan for her life. And, you know, and Jeremiah 29, 11 had to go in the room, right? She had to know from day one and there's little arrows and all kinds of things in there and we did that and then we had a rocking chair that we actually had with my oldest son who's about to turn 13 but we had it just kind of sitting around and and it was getting kind of loose and rickety and we decided you know what instead of buying a new one let's redo it because redoing things is the best way to go right so we we got the chair and we actually gave it to a friend and they painted it and they reupholstered it for us and they brought it in and it looked great and then we had to go about the process of getting diapers and wipes and remember our our oldest is 12 and our youngest is nine so we have not dealt with diapers and wipes for years. So we're standing in Target just looking at shelves like, I got no idea. And we walked through that whole process of do we do cloth diapers or do we do like, I don't what normal diapers? Like we just like, we sat there and had these debates like how do we work this? And we walked through it and then my wife said, you know what, we need new curtains. Yeah, we certainly do. We we. We need new curtains. So we went out and we got new curtains and we hung them and they had to be just the right so they block light out but they also let light in, right? And like, there's a process and anything else you could imagine that, that a little girl needs for her room, we took time to prepare it for her. We went out and we got it and, and even if it was after the fact, we took care of it and we also had to take care of our, our, our boys in the, in the midst of that, making, making sure their needs were taken care of and we took time to prepare her room. Let me ask you, Do we mind doing any of all that? Not a bit. Because we loved that little girl the moment we found out that we were going to have her. We loved that little girl from the moment before we even knew she was going to be a little girl. When Alicia came home and said, I am pregnant, we loved her immediately. It was a labor of love to make preparations for that little girl to be brought home. None of the work fixing that crib or the dresser or the changing station or the shelving or the rocking chair or buying diapers and wipes or, and getting new curtains and finishing off all that other stuff, all of that was done out of love for that little girl to prepare a space for her. Now listen, if I am willing to do that for a little girl, how much more is God willing to do that for his people? God is telling his people here in Exodus 23 that he is going and preparing a room for him and it's a labor of love for him. It's out of his love and out of his tenderness and out of of his care that he is going to do all of this. None of it is dependent upon them. He didn't say, okay, when you get there, you paint the room any way you, you want to. You get all the dressers you want to. He said, no, no, I'm gonna provide everything you need. I'm gonna provide the crops. I'm gonna provide the harvest. I'm gonna provide all of it, and he goes to the work of preparing a place for his people. In the next 13 verses, Exodus 20 through 33, we're gonna see God use a phrase that shows this even more. God's gonna use the phrase before you five times here in 13 verses to show us whose work this is. God is making the end goal of a home for his children possible through his own means. We're gonna see that he's gonna send an angel is what we saw in verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared for you. A little later on, we're gonna see that God says he's going to send terror in the land before them so that the other nations flee. And we get to see a little bit of a picture of this uh, later on. Uh, Joshua is gonna go and send spies into Jericho And when they get there, they're going to come to the home of a a prostitute named Rahab. And as they get there, uh, Rahab hides these men on the roof of her house. She sends uh, the king's men away searching for them. And she begins to speak to them. And the spies say, why did you do what you did? 
And she says, when our people heard about the power of your God, our hearts melted within us. Do you hear that? God sent the terror of his name out before the Israelites. So they didn't have to come in marching in like these excellent uniforms for the people to be afraid. Well before they ever ever got there, the people were afraid. Rahab said, we heard of what God did at the Red Sea. We heard about what God did to the king at Agog and he mentions, she mentions these other things that God had done. She, they knew well beforehand who God is. God sends terror out to, to uh, push the other nations out from before them. In another spot here it says he sends hornets across the land and he drives uh, the, the other inhabitants of the land out. And most importantly, he sends himself. Look to verse 30 this morning. I wanna see how God does this. Verse 30 in Exodus 23 says, little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. So God's sending an angel, he's sending a terror, he's sending hornets, and he's sending himself. How does, he sit, how does he do this? Little by little. You see, little by little, God is going to display his glory and his power through all of this. Little by little. He doesn't just give it to them all, in, all at once and say, here you go. No, little by little, he's showing the people who is in control and who is in charge. He actually says uh, here a little bit later, he says uh, in verse 29, he says, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land becomes desolate and the wild beasts multiply before you. God's telling them, it's, I, I won't just do this all at once, little by little. I'll take over, you through me will take over this portion of land and then this portion of land, and then this portion of land, and then this portion of land, until one day it is all yours. And you can enter into it, little by little. You see, God is changing the Israelites' liturgy of work, 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 to a liturgy of faith and dependence upon him. Because these are a people that know all about work. These are a people who, who would have gotten to the task of attempting to take over the land on their own. If God's only uh, deal here was just to free them from Egypt, they were very well informed on how to work. So they, they could have gone in and they could have begun the work of taking over this land. But God's saying, no, 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 no. It will be all on my shoulders for you to take over this land. This is a hard thing for us to understand because maybe as, as you read little by little, we are a people who do not like things to happen little by little. Little by little is frustrating. Ask any pregnant lady in the room or any lady who just got done being pregnant. Little by little is not a comfortable process. Nine months is a long time to grow a little human being inside of you. Little by little, the child will grow and grow more and grow more, and then finally you will give birth, but it's a little by little process. Thankfully, God doesn't have that process just come all at once, right? Your body needs a little time to prepare for that. Your body needs a little time to stretch and move and grow, and little by little, life is created, but it can be frustrating, and it can be painful, and it can be slow, some of you maybe are walking through situations with, with a job right now where things just seem to be happening little by little and slowly and more slowly and things are almost at a snail's pace and we see that a lot of life can become a process of wading through the little by little. You see, we are a people of an instant culture. We have everything from instant oatmeal to well, I couldn't really think of anything better than instant oatmeal. It's just what came, but think about it. We, we are people who download music immediately. We are people who instantly stream TV shows and movies off of our tablet or our phone or our computer. Uh, we, we just want things now. We want dinner now, and we want it our way. We want to see instant results at the gym, right? I do 10 sit-ups, and I want abs now. That's just our culture, right? And if I don't get them, I'll probably give up right? Like, I don't like this process to take this long. I just want it now. I saw, uh, there's a book that came out years ago. I was, I've, I was a youth pastor before uh, I came to Sacred City, and there was a popular book out called uh, How to Have a New Child by Friday. Like, what happens if you start reading Thursday? Like, <laughs> oh boy, that's a lot of pressure, right? But like, it, it's just, we want this now. We want a new child by Friday. We don't have to want to wait weeks or months for that new child. I want him now, quickly. Lord, please, we 
dislike waiting. We do everything in our power really not to wait. You get stuck in traffic, you can ask Siri or whatever other knockoff device you use and she could take you on a different route, right? You can get around the traffic. You go into the restaurant on Friday night and it's crowded, that's okay, there's another one down the block. That one's crowded, that's okay, there's another one down the block. We, we have options and we can go to all these places. Little by little is frustrating and we don't like it. But I bet if you would stop for a moment and take a quick look back on your life, you might see a more full view of how God got you to the place you are now. Inevitably, in every single one of our lives, there, there has been pain and there has been hurt and there have been circumstances that, that we would rather not have gone through. But as you look back, I, I bet you will see little by little the events of your life bringing you to the place of here and now. These little by little events, even the mistakes, even the regrets, even the pain have brought you to the place of where you are now. And I think few of us would say, I, I would have rather just had it all at once. I rather would have, would have just got, wanted to get to the place where I'm at now. Think about if that was true, that, that if you just arrived at the place you are now with no, uh, nothing else in between, no regrets, no pain, no mistakes, none of that, really what we miss out in the midst of that is also the great joy and the laughter and the love that happened along the way. We would have missed out on people wrapping their arms around us and walking through life with us. One of the greatest joys for me as, as my wife and I and my family have joined Sacred City is the, the uh, amount of people who, when we are going through something and we share it with people, the looks across the room of people just saying, me too, I've been there, I've walked through that, we're going through that. And I just think like, if we had avoided that process, if we had ignored that process, how many relationships we would have missed out on? How many times we would have continued to try to do it on our own rather than relying on the people that God had placed in our life during the little by little? You see, in the little by little is often how God works. For the believer, we call this process sanctification. It's the process of becoming more and more conformed to the image of God. And it can be a painful process and it can be a long and slow process, but it's ultimately preparing us to live in the land that God is giving to us. You see, all through the book of Exodus, we see God preparing a people for the place that he's gonna take them. He's preparing them on how to be a people that are dependent solely upon him. For years, they've been dependent upon how hard they can work. And now God says, no, you're gonna be dependent on me and what I've done for you and what I'm doing for you. That changes everything for these people. They are no longer dependent upon their work and their effort. And listen to the things that God's gonna do for the Israelites in going before them. Uh, let's look at verse 22. We're gonna jump around a little bit. Verse 22, it says, but if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. God is saying, I will be for you and I will be against you. Your enemies. He's really telling them, you have nothing to fear. In Egypt, everyone was against you. You were the lowest of the low. And now he's saying, I am for you and with you, and I'm against those people that oppressed you and, and were harsh taskmasters. Look at verse 25. It says, you will serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. God's saying, in going before them, he's saying, I will give you good health in the midst of this. You're not gonna have to worry about getting colds. You're not gonna have to worry about getting the 24-hour bug or the flu. I will provide good food for you, good water for you. I will take sickness away from you. You'll have good health. Look at verse 26. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land, and I will fulfill the number of your days. God is saying you will have full life during this time as you depend upon me. The pains that they knew in Egypt will be no more. You will have full life. Verse 27, he says, I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come and I will make all of your enemies turn their backs to you. God's telling them there will be national peace in the land. You will be able to, come, to become a people because of the work I am doing for you. The other nations will turn their backs to you because of my name. 
Verse 29, he says, I will drive them out from before you in one year. Or excuse me, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. He's saying the land will be ideal. It's not gonna be a land filled with thorns and thistles and, and hard rocks and gravel. He's saying it will be ideal and I'm gonna prepare it. Verse 31, He says, and I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the uh, wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. He's saying there will be room for everyone. There will be land upon land and there will be a spot for all of you. In Egypt, they were living in, in little small hutches on top of each other, just people crammed into one space. Think about the busiest city you've ever been to. They were there living in the midst of that. No room to breathe, no room for comfort, no room to celebrate. And God's saying, I'll set your border and I'll give you all of this and as I go before you. And how will he do it? Little by little. And what will the end result be? Home. These people have never had this. They've never had a place to call home. They've wanted it for years. Do you remember how how the book of Exodus actually first started? Why did the people leave Egypt in the first place? Let's go there real quick. Just flip back to Exodus chapter two. Let's see how this whole thing got started. Exodus chapter two, uh, and let's look at verses 23 through 25. Exodus two, 23 through 25. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. It all started with the people of God groaning and crying out for rescue and for redemption. They realized that we are slaves and we, there has to be a better way of life than this. They knew there was something better than serving the gods of Egypt and they cried out to the only one who could do anything about it. For years they've been oppressed, they've been pushed down and now they cry out to the one true God and God hears them. God hears them in the midst of their slavery. God hears them in the midst of their work and God provides a way out. And God not only just brings them out and says, here you go. He says, I'm going with you and I'm going before you and I'm gonna do all the work necessary. All you need to do is be a people of faith. Let's jump back over to Exodus 23. I know it took you long to get to Exodus 2 and we're gonna run all the way back. In Exodus 23, In the text, God tells the people to pay careful attention to obey his voice in verse 21. And in verse 22, he says again, obey his voice and do not rebel. In verse 24, he says, do not bow down to their gods or serve them, but instead destroy the idols of the land. Verse 25, he says, serve the Lord. Then verse 32, he says, make no covenants with other gods. What does all this mean? Like, how did we get here from them crying out? Listen, it means that God is changing their liturgy of slavery to a liturgy of faith. He's saying, you have worked really hard all of your life. You've worked really hard to form an identity. You've worked really hard to to get ahead. You've worked really hard to do all these things. And now he's saying, now you will be my people called by my name and all you need to do is place your faith in me and follow. You see, a liturgy of faith requires the people to trust in God rather than in themselves. They will follow God by faith, trusting in his provision for their lives. And the same is true for us. You see, many of us, without really knowing it, have adhered to a, a liturgy of slavery. You see, a liturgy of slavery keeps us working really hard because we've always got to prove ourselves. A liturgy of slavery keeps you really tired because you can't slow down because someone else might outpace you. A liturgy of slavery keeps you distracted because you're always on to the next thing. You can never arrive in a, in a, in a liturgy of slavery. You always have to keep moving on to the next thing. 
Once you get that thing you thought you needed, you need something else. I think it was Jim this week said he had a business and, and they thought they'd arrived, right? And then the, the fire department shows up and they say, you haven't arrived. Your letters on your building are too small. Like, how did we miss that? that? But a liturgy of slavery and a liturgy of work says you will never arrive. There is always one more thing to do. There's always one more task to accomplish. You see, a liturgy of slavery builds your identity in what you do rather than whose you are. A liturgy of slavery builds your identity in what you do rather than whose you are. You see, when my identity is in what I do, I'm on a very slippery slope because what happens when those things get taken away from me? If my, my identity is found in my job, what happens when I lose my job or what happens when I retire? Who am I now? I've been the person who does this and I've been the person who does that, but who am I now that I don't have those things? You see, if I build my identity up in my children, what happens when my children fail? I'm a pastor, I'm gonna be honest with you, and my kid's failing Bible. If my identity is built up in, in, in my children and he fails something, specifically even the Bible, well, now I'm a failure. Well, now I've gotta work harder. Now I haven't been doing my job. I haven't been doing the things I need to do. And, and I have become on the slippery slope of trying to constantly build my identity up in all of these things. Your identity might be built up in how great a spouse you are, how great a mother you are, how great a cook you are, how great a uh, worker you are, how great a craftsman you are, how great a communicator you are, how great all these things are. But just listen, when those things are gone, who are you? If you couldn't cook anymore, if you couldn't make a home anymore, if you couldn't be a lawyer or a doctor or a fireman or whatever other thing you are, then who are you? You see, that's what God is breaking in Israel right now. You have been slaves your entire lives, and that's been your identity. He says, now your identity will be built up in whose you are, not what you do. You see, when I build my identity up in something other than who I belong to. It's the epitome of hopelessness. You see, slavery is a hopeless situation. There's always more work and less bricks to do it with. There's always more to do. But a liturgy of faith, though, looks to what God has already done and what God is doing. You see, in the midst of our slavery, God sent his son to be a slave for us. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, while we were busy out being slaves to our identity, to our job, to all these things, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to be a slave for us and gave his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus didn't come, into the, come to say, clean yourself up, clean your act up, and work harder to be a good boy or a good girl. No, no, no. Jesus said in John eight thirty four, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We see Jesus here saying that our ultimate bondage is actually a spiritual bondage. Our ultimate bondage is a bondage to sin. And he goes on and he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. John eight thirty six. he says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Listen, Jesus is providing an exodus from sin for us. He has already done this. While we've been attempting to build our identity up in all these other things, while we've been following this liturgy of slavery, Jesus has already come to serve, not to be served. Jesus has come to set us free. You see, it's Jesus' work on the cross for us that frees us both now and in eternity. You see, we're not just waiting to get to heaven. We are free now. When we, when we accept the finished work of Christ on our behalf and what Christ did on the cross for us, we experience freedom now, freedom, freedom from the bonds of our slavery to sin. We are now free to go on as those who don't live tied to sin. We don't live tied to our former taskmaster. We now turn in faith to Jesus and we follow him and we follow his provision for our life. We follow to, to the place where he is taking us. Jesus said in John 14, verses two and three, he said, in my father's house there are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Do you hear the significance of Jesus' words there? I am going before you to prepare a place for you. In Exodus, we heard God say, I'm going before you to give you this land and give you a home. Jesus in the New Testament fulfills what the Israelites were trusting in faith that God would give to them. Jesus gives us salvation from our slavery to sin, but he goes beyond that and he gives us an eternal inheritance. You see, God didn't just free the Israelites from Egypt, he prepared a place for them. And Jesus doesn't just free us from our slavery to sin, he prepares a place for us. He prepares an eternity for us. All the while, while we were out trying to prove ourselves, Jesus went before us to do the work. I don't know about you, but for most of my life, I have gone around and I've tried to create an identity in something other than whose I am. I've tried to create an identity in being the funny guy. I've tried to create an identity in being the easygoing guy. I've tried to create the identity of being the family man, right? I've tried to create this identity in being all these other things. And they all constantly fail me. They all leave me wanting more. They all return me to my slavery to sin. When I seek to find my identity in something outside of who God says I am, I am willfully returning to my slavery. I'm willfully returning to my former taskmasters. I'm asking for you. I'm asking for other people. I'm asking for my job to give to me something that it cannot give. My job cannot provide salvation for me. My job cannot provide an adequate identity for me. Only Jesus can do that. When we see what Jesus has prepared for us and how he gets us there, the only appropriate response this morning is for us to place our faith in him and him alone, being devoted to him. You see, our salvation is not just a one-time moment, pray a prayer type of thing. No, our salvation is a call to die every single day. Our salvation is not just a date written in the front of our Bible. It's a daily call to surrender. Just a few weeks back, I was really struggling in my identity, and I sat down with with Pastor Justin, and he said, Jeff, it sounds like you're trying to get something from this job that it will never offer you. He said, this job is a call to wake up every day and die. I thought, well, that doesn't sound very fun. He said, Jeff, that's what every job is a call to do as a believer. Whether you're a craftsman, whether you're a homemaker, whether you're a nurse, a doctor, anything in between, any of those areas, every morning as a believer when we wake up, it's a call to die to ourselves and take up our cross. It's a call to not return to our former taskmaster of slavery. It's a call to follow by faith the one who has provided everything we need. For the Israelites, we see them in this place, and God says to them, make no covenants with any other gods. Don't sin against me. He says, if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. The word there, snare, does not simply mean a trip up or a stumble. It actually means it will lead to your ruin. It will lead to your death. For us this morning, as we hear maybe that that you have been placing your identity in something other than whose you are, it's a snare to us. It won't just trip you up. It won't just drag you down. It will lead to your ruin. This morning, we need to turn from our liturgy of slavery and turn to the finished work of Christ. Turn to the liturgy of faith. That depends all upon Christ's work, all upon his effort. Christ performed perfectly on our behalf. So we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. This morning, in just a moment, we're going to come and we're going to take the bread and we're going to remember Jesus is going before us to the cross to take our place. While we willingly submitted to slavery, willingly built up our identity in these other things, Jesus went to the cross to give us our identity.
And as we break that bread and as we dip it in the wine or the juice this morning, we're reminded that it's by the shed blood of Christ that we've been freed from our bondage. We've been freed from finding our identity in anything other than whose we are. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we love you. I don't, I don't know if we can say that enough. And really, maybe this morning we, we came in saying that with our mouth, but maybe not believing it with our hearts. But God, we've seen that you are a God who is about taking people who are stuck in slavery and providing them with full life, providing them with a home, providing them with freedom from bondage. God, when you placed your son on the cross for us, you willingly entered in to slavery. You took our sin and placed it on his back and paid the burden that we deserved, paid the debt that we owed. And then when Jesus rose victoriously from that, that grave, proving that he did have power over sin, death, hell, and the grave, we now celebrate and we now get to enjoy the freedom from slavery. We now get to enjoy life offered by you. God, would you free us this morning of returning to our taskmaster of sin? Would you free us this morning of finding our identity in everything but you? Would you free us from this liturgy of slavery that we keep returning to over and over and over again? And God, may you call us into a liturgy of faith that looks to the finished work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. God, today would you speak fresh into us, speak new into us. Would you do the work of renewing our heart? Do the work of tearing down these, these, these idyllic things that we build up in our hearts and help us to see the only beautiful thing, the only glorious thing in our life is you. God, may we follow in that today. May we follow this liturgy of faith. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.